Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, Mark Homer here. I'm very excited today because I've got my business partner, Rob Moore, here. We've been investing in various different asset classes, Rob and I, for, for over 10 years now. In fact, we got into to buy to let probably about 12 years ago. And over that period, we've rode the wave of the, the property market cycle. You know, in, in, in the good times, obviously, property rises, not always a good time to buy. And in the bad times, I generally like to, to fill my boots and, and, and buy a load of stock. And over those 12 years, I've really focused on trying to get into other asset classes because what you tend to find with um, investing generally is that different asset classes are good at different times. Prior to getting to, into property, I probably understood, you know, maybe one or two asset classes. And, um, you know, I, I would I'd invest in those at various times. But of course, that leaves big gaps in terms of looking at the asset classes that you understand the where you are in the cycle of of the the, the price of that of assets within that class. So, for example, two thousand and eight, uh, we had a big property market crash. You know, all the way through to probably two thousand and eleven, things were very cheap. Certainly, filled our boots, bought a lot of property during that period. Continued to buy afterwards, but bought less. But if you'd looked at other asset classes, we've had the journey up to the EU referendum vote in the last couple of weeks. And during that period, there's been a lot of uncertainty. The stock market has dropped a hell of a lot. And, and I found that a really good time to, to buy some, some shares in quality companies because they were so damn cheap. And if you can keep a, a few of these different asset classes, whether it's shares, whether it's property, whether it's gold, commodities, all, all, the, all these different asset classes within your realm of understanding, then when one of them becomes cheap or, or, or good value, you can change your asset allocation to, to hold more of that, that asset. And obviously, in the long term, you're likely to, to, to win by doing that. Over this period, I've, I've certainly got to learn more about watches and um, really because Rob has such a, a passion for buying and, and wearing watches, he's taught me a hell of a lot about the kinds of watches to buy, where to buy them from, you know, the timing in terms of, of, of when to buy them, whether there's currency benefits or, you know, other things going on in the economy. For example, you know, in the credit crunch, a lot of the bankers were getting rid of their Rolexes and they, they were quite cheap. And, you know, over over the last few years watching Rob, I've managed to pick a few things up, you know, and, and understand more and more about what makes a good watch purchase and what doesn't. And I'm really excited because, as I said before, I've got Rob here with me now. So we're really going to get into the mind of the, the watch investor, the watch connoisseur and the person who really has a passion for buying these things and, and, and owning them. So, um so, Rob, welcome. Hi, everyone. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show, talking about something different. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And it's certainly something which, um, you know, I've become quite passionate about and certainly something that, that you've inspired me to, to learn more about and something that, you know, we're, we're making money out of. 
Now, the first thing I want to understand, Rob, is, you know, in the early days, I loved buying property because I thought it, it would make us a lot of money. What got you into investing in watches in the first place? Okay, so in the first place, I didn't invest in watches. I had this material hunger to own a Rolex Daytona. And uh, I'm okay with admitting that I wanted a really nice watch. So it started with, I think, I always perceived watch as the only one piece of real jewellery that a man could wear and get away with. So, you know, okay, you can wear cufflinks, you can get nice cufflinks, but I'm not really into jewellery, but a watch is a one way of showing some opulence. And, and, and I always wanted a Rolex Daytona. That was the one kind of like, that was the, um, the coveted watch for me because it was it just looked amazing and it was kind of like a connoisseur's watch. There are other connoisseur's watches, but that was that one. So I, I got into getting into watches by buying my first ever Daytona. And I went out actually and bought a personal one for myself from a dealer and I'd kind of saved up for it for maybe about six months a year. I, th- I think it might have been end of 07 or early 08, you know, when you and I had actually started to make a bit of money out of progressive property and maybe we'd started actually paying ourselves some money. And, and I went and a- achieved a little dream of mine and, uh, of owning a, a white face, a Rolex Daytona. And you know me, Mark, well, and you know I have addictive personality traits and tendencies and I like spending money and uh, it actually does kick off dopamine. It makes me feel good. And I know you're different. You love investing money. I love investing money. You taught me to almost appease the hunger of spending money by spending it in something that doesn't go down in value. And so for me, it's like I have this desire to spend money because, you know, having nice things and doing nice things is nice and everyone gets a dopamine rush from that. But also, how do I stop spending it in doodads and liabilities and things that go down in value, like clothes and all that stuff that I used to buy a lot of? So it almost merged this passion profession thing where I was able to spend money and have this crazy, I need to go and spend some money. And so I'd dump it in a watch and it wouldn't go down in value or at least it'd, it'd depreciate in a, in a very small way. Now, it just so happened that there, there was like, um, it was a coincidence that Daytona was the watch I loved. But Rolex Daytonas are historically the watches that are most likely to hold or go up in value. And if you track back, like I've, I've got a 79 Daytona, which is my birth year, and that would have been less than 1,500 quid brand new back then. And now you can't pick one up for 29, less than 29 grand. The worst condition, doctored around and played with, you can't get them for under nearly 30 grand. And that's just a standard issue Daytona. And so if you track that back, you can, you can work that out roughly year on year, and it's probably 5%, 6%. Of course, you get a unique one or an inverse 6 or something like that, then they can go crazy. So I got into investing in watches too because I love buying one and I wanted one and I want to feed a, spe- a spending habit. And now if I want to reward myself for doing something good and I want to go and drop a load of money, I'll drop it into a watch and I can kind of merge that passion profession addiction. I've noticed this a lot with investors and, you know, people who run businesses and actually people who are just employed in, in, you know, normal workplaces. When something is your passion, when you really love something, when you really, really want to do it, when you yearn for more of it, you generally become very good at it and it doesn't really feel like work. And I get the feeling, Rob, that the whole kind of watch investment kind of passion that you've got has really driven you on to to learn more about it. Because, 
you know, for me, learning about new asset classes is about going really, really deep. It's about understanding more than the average person. In fact, understanding more than most of the people in that marketplace. Because I think when you understand more about it, then you have a better idea of, you know, what to buy, how to buy it, what price to pay. And specifically, what, you know, what generally makes a good watch investment. Obviously, there are certain types of metals that, that are good. You know, there are, there are some that aren't. These special editions, I know, are very important, i.e. with, as with any asset class, you know, supply and demand is, is the, you know, number one thing which determines the price. And, you know, if you can control the supply side, i.e. there aren't many of a certain watch um, type around, then obviously the, the price over a period of time should go up. That applies to any asset class and, 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 and watches can be particularly good from my understanding because, you know, there are, there are lots of these types of special editions around. So tell me just in generic terms, why is investing in watches good, Rob? Okay, so this is a single part of a complicated myriad web. So I think take some context first. I don't advise anybody when they start investing, go 100% into watches. That's dumb. You can't leverage watches like you can property. And, you know, there's only a certain amount of watches that will go up. And so I think it's something that you might do as your second or third or fourth class. And the way to start is when you want to buy your own first nice watch, you also try and get something that could hold its value. So investing in watches is good because certain type of watches should sustainably go up and you can get something that you like to wear and you get utility out of. So, Mark, you're always tipping me off on stocks and I'm different to you because you'll go and trade and play and that kind of thing. For me with stock, I don't have a passion for stocks at all. So I get your tip, like if Tesco is low or if, you know, Volkswagen is low or whoever, good company, good fundamentals, they're getting hit and I'll just dump some money and I'll leave it. And I don't even look at my Hargreaves Lansdowne account for months. Whereas, like you said, because I've got a passion for watch, it's something I love to do. I'll happily research prices on eBay, on Chrono24 and all the good watch dealers I know. I'll look at them. You know, I know you get, sometimes you can get pleasure out of looking at something, even if you don't buy it, if you love doing it. So sometimes I think, you know, I want to find a watch. And maybe I've bought quite a lot of watches and I, and I really burn my, the amount of money I want to invest in watches. But I'll go and look at and research a load because you almost like um, you almost get a vicarious good experience out of it. So don't make it your primary asset class. It's not leverageable. It's not something that's going to make you 100% a year return. Target to get yourself a nice watch that you'll wear. And then when you've got one and you like it, you'll need a second one because if you wear one every day, you'll batter the hell out of it and you'll ding, you'll ding it and you know, then you reduce its value. So then think, okay, I need to get a next watch. Reward yourself by going, I tell you what, when I reach this target or this goal or I get this drawing or dividend or I pay myself this amount of money, I'm going to go and buy a watch. So I think that's why watch, investing in watches is good because you can dump spare money away because you can also, it's good because you can kind of, will be the right way of putting this, you can, you can just diversify your portfolio. You know, you and I love property, but we would never be 100% in on property. And uh, it's, a, it's a good way to move money from cash because cash depreciates inflation and everything else. So, so if, you have, if you have got cash, put it into a watch and it's a good way of protecting cash. You know, it's, good, it's, just, it's good for lots of reasons. It's probably not great if you have zero passion about it, but you, you can buy watches and hold them. It's often quite good when there are other things going on in the marketplace. So gold fluctuates. 
So you'll probably find that gold, when gold is strong, gold in watches will be strong. When gold in, is weak, gold in watches will be weak. So it, it might be good rather than just putting it into gold because, you know, yes, gold is tradable. You know, you can buy bullion and buy Kruger around and go and trade it. But it's kind of a, maybe a more fixed market, whereas gold in watches may be a little bit more volatile. But it has utility. You're not going to go and wear your Kruger around on your wrist. You know, watches have some utility. So there's things. The thing with at the moment, watch prices are really strong. And uh, even gold watches are really, really quite strong. And some of the, the models have been going up in quite a crazy fashion. So, you, you know, if you think that the watch market is quite weak, you might go in. And if you think it's strong, you might go out. Now, the strength of the watch market versus the strength of the property market versus the strength of some of the stocks, they'll all time differently. So a big part of what we teach, Mark, and, and this is hard for someone to get, but investing is not just about investing. It's about waiting and not investing. And when you don't invest... And so if you're in a period in property where you're sitting on your hands because, you know, you've been trying to buy a load of buildings and there's not a lot, of, you know, there's not a lot of supply at the moment, but you want to invest stuff. So rather than overpaying by 10% on a property, go and buy a couple of watches and kind of feed that hunger of the gap when you haven't been investing in something for months. I think it was someone like Charlie Munger said, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is sit on your hands, you know, when you're investing. It's the space between. So there's a load of good reasons why you might want to invest in watches. That's really interesting. I mean, something that I've noticed, and you just touched on it, is over a period of time, you notice that, you know, steel watches might be doing better than gold watches. Most of the time, that's the case. Yeah. And just in the last six months, especially, the gold price has really come back. Mm. Gold's probably gone up 20% plus. And that's for a whole variety of reasons. You know, there's more uncertainty in the in the global economy. And, you know, this this EU referendum vote, you know, has, has, has been driving some of the uncertainty. But, you know, George Soros put a big bet on in the early part of 2016. And uh, effectively, he was betting that gold was going to go up. And he was right. <laughs> he was right when the... Uh... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. ERM crisis came along as well. And, you know, you, I've, I've, I've noticed since the start of the year, as gold has started to appreciate, gold watches have started going up, um, as you just mentioned. Something else I quite like is that physical element of having a watch. You know, when you buy a property, well, it is very secure because obviously you you, you have title to that and, um, you know, that, that that's great. Putting your money in a bank, well, that, that's pretty secure if it's in the UK. Obviously, it's it's regulated and there's the, the £85,000 government guarantee. But if you've got more than that in a bank account, it wasn't that long ago where banks were 
were, you know, in a very, very bad way and, and needed capital. And some of them would have gone bust if they hadn't had um, funds injected into them by the, the, the government and other institutions. And certainly within Europe, um, we've seen in, in Cyprus, where, um, you know, the government's effectively said, well, this bank needs capitalising, we're going to take 15, 20% out of your bank account to do that. You know, a similar scenario is, is possible in Greece. Now, I'm not saying that is in any way likely to happen anytime soon in the UK. But, you know, even the the slight thought of that kind of that kind of risk being there to your capital in a bank account, um, you know, makes me shudder. And I think if you're only getting 1% interest, well, you need a hedge against all of these these types of risks. And of course, there are risks in the stock market as well and, and in other, other classes. And certainly through the recession, there was a period where there was a, a reasonable possibility that the financial markets were, were going to shut down, banks were going to go bust. And, you know, we were all going to be there sitting at home, you know, and, and it, it would be down to who got the food, you know, who got uh, maybe cash wouldn't be used anymore, who got the gold and, you know, who maybe got the shotgun and, and could go out and, and kill and, you know, kind of uh, get animals and, and eat them. Now, of course, you know, that's an extreme scenario. And, and um, you know, it was pretty unlikely to happen. But, Holding some physical assets like gold, like cash and watches is probably not a bad way to be. You know, if we're, we're faced with those kind of threats and, you know, you, you want to have the ultimate hedge, well, having something physical that's outside of the financial system is a good thing to have. Now, you can hold cash, as, as Rob said, that gets eaten away by inflation. Uh, but if you've got something which appreciates over time, like watches, and historically, I think they've probably done better than gold and silver, then that's a good thing to have. And that's a good place to be. And it's something that, that, that Rob's taught me over the last few years, which, um, which I certainly live by myself now. Can I just jump in there, Mark, just to add something? I think it's important to have, if you look at a diverse overall asset portfolio, I think it's important to have physical, non-physical, leveraged, non-leveraged, liquid, non-liquid. You know, you want a variety, don't you? I mean, you don't you don't start having a variety. You start having a speciality. And I wouldn't say watches is the first thing, but watches are tradable. They have utility, and they're relatively liquid. They're liquid probably within a week without having to drop the price too much, and they're liquid within a day. If you drop the price by fifteen or twenty percent, you'd sell it in a day. So they have liquidity. They have utility, which other things don't as much, like stock market, for example. Quite tradable. So, yeah, so there's some other benefits there. Great. So, Rob, when should you start investing in watches? If, you know, someone's coming, you know, looking at this this asset class, they're looking at watches, when's the ideal time for them to get started and, and buy their first watch? Okay, so I, I think anyone can have a target to buy their first watch whenever they want, regardless of if they're an investor or not. And rather than buying a depreciable one that you like, like a Breitling or an Amiga standard issue, which will drop... 50% in a couple of years, you could target to buy a Daytona or a Patek or some other type of watch, spend a little bit more money, but you'll end up with more money because instead of, if you erode five grand down to two grand, it's better to wait a little bit longer and, and spend 10 grand and it go up to 10 and a half in the first year. So you can start by doing it now. If you're actually thinking of it purely for investment, I'd say probably third class. So I'd probably go, for example, property first, then stocks, and then watches, maybe a third investment class. So that's when I'd say to start. Great. So, uh, you know, the, the $100 million question that people are going to be asking themselves 
is what watch do I go and buy? Do I, you know, you've said maybe a Breitling or an Amiga is not the right kind of thing. Maybe a Patek or a, a Rolex Daytona is. But, you know, there's going to be more types of watches that, that, that people can invest in. And, you know, is it important to get a special edition? Is it important to buy watches that have got diamonds in or, you know, watches that have, have got a certain label on them? Or, or, or you know, it, it, does it not matter to? much yeah so there's no absolute hard and fast rule so i'll make some overriding generalizations to save everyone's time and then talk about a bit of uniqueness afterwards so generally the brands that appreciate the most that are that people know that are easiest to get into that are lowest risk are sports rolexes and the Patek complications. What's a sports Rolex, Rob? So it's the Rolex that people wear that are the sports editions, such as the Submariner, the Sea Dweller, not so much, but possibly limited edition, James Cameron, Deep Sea Dweller, the Daytoners. So, you know, they're the, they're the main ones. And then the Patek complications... So such as, well, actually Patek, they have all numbers and letters rather than actual names. Uh, So the Patek complications and the Rolex sports models, they're the like, almost like bankers, if you like. The brands that people like, the common brands that 99% of them don't appreciate, in fact, they drop like a stone, are Amiga, Breitling, Etc. Now, generally, if you can see them in a Leslie Davis or a standard shop window in a standard shopping centre, they're generally going to drop. And generally, the ones that do the mass advertised branding and the celebrity endorsed branding, you know, like Amiga might have Leonardo DiCaprio or, or whoever, or tag her, that's another one straight in the window that most of those drop. Though the the caveat to that is the older tag her Monaco's they've done well, so you know a peop, the ones that you sort of a celebrity branded or sort of sporty that are in a lot of the shops they generally drop. If you ever see a watch discounted significantly, it will drop, and you think you get a thirty percent off out of the window, but that'll go down another eighty percent. You know Rolex will not drop their price; they will not discount. They will not let retailers discount. If a retailer discounts it, they will pull pull the brand off the retailer. And Patek is such a highly exclusive brand that um, you know they're, they're they're not really celebrity endorsed. I believe they're still a, a family run business some patics take seven years to make by hand and then you've got some more sort of not so well known makes like Odemars Piguet like uh, FP Jean like Richard Millet that uh, if you buy them well and you buy the right one some of the gold Richard Millets especially the RM11 they've gone mad and I was quite surprised that um because they've been dropping quite a lot and then like you said mark as gold prices uh, have have increased they they seem to have had a bit of a resurgence but i wouldn't advise though i'd advise buying sports rolexes first and then when you're bored of buying sports rolexes and you don't want any more and you need to feed a hunger or you want to go up to a higher level and i personally my personal favorite brand is Audemars Piguet. And, and I still can't get out of me that I love watches. 
And so as I've moved up from sports Rolexes through Pateks, I buy a lot of the limited Odemars Piguets. Now, just an interesting one is the Schumacher. Uh, that was 55 new and that's up to 62 and a half. And obviously Schumacher is very ill at the moment. He's been very ill for a long time. So when you've got these unique limiteds that have got endorsements, the LeBron James by Odemars Piguet has gone mad. Now, that's a gold one. And so that's a limited and it's gold and it's endorsed by, you know, it's not endorsed. It's a it's a limited edition with, you know, a celebrity in America. So that's gone crazy. Now, they only make 500 in gold, 1000 in steel or titanium and then 200 or 250 in platinum. So 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 really what you're mixing is the limited edition, the endorsement of who's backing it with AP, that's what they do. It would be like, and Richard Mille, they do that as well. With the scarcity, with the demand, with the, whether it's the steel or the gold and the fluctuation in the price, you're balancing all of those things. And I had a T3, I have a T3 AP, which was uh, endorsed by Arnold Schwarzenegger, the film T3. And that was 9,000 new. And uh, at one point that got up to nearly £30,000. So that's another one that's, that's been really strong. And, you know, they, they make 500 of those and then they don't make them ever again. So, you know, once they're gone and they're done, then they're done, aren't they? Now, I, I wasn't able to buy it at nine because I wasn't aware of it at the time. So I'm looking at the past history of what I've done well. And then when they come out new, there's a, the new AP QE2 Cup. So they were, they were out at 33,000. You could only get them in uh, sort of Asia and there's premiums and they're going at 37,000 pound in the UK immediately. So there's some things to think about. You know, obviously I could talk about this all day and I don't want to blow people's minds. Start with end of run or ended submariners, like the green bezel sub, you know, we've both got some of those. The green bezel Kermit sub, it's just like a standard Submariner, but they made it when it was the, I think it was a 40th anniversary. It was, but it was like a big 10-year, 30, 40, 50 anniversary. And they were selling in the twos when we were buying them. And you, you're buying them in the fours now if you've got a good dealer and they're selling at five retail. So Submariner, proven sports Rolex. Then they make an anniversary edition, which you know at one point then they'll stop. And then they start to appreciate. So they're the kind of things you're looking for. You're looking for the sports brand. Then you're looking for one that they will discontinue or an anniversary or something like that. So as a general rule, is it a good idea to go and get the, the blingy ones with all the diamonds and the gold on? Or is it better to just go for a, a steel one? It depends because at the moment, gold's strong. But we've had conversations and for years, I'd say just don't buy gold except like a Daytona or something like that. So, so I would say no diamonds, no women's watches, no really quirky materials. A couple of exceptions is the QE2 cup because that's new, but no carbon, for example. Titanium, there's, there's, okay, the T3's titanium, that went up, but mostly no. No women's watches, no diamonds, no massive bling, no watches that, are, that you see that a year after their production are half price. Gold is a bit of a rare one because it's good at the moment, but long term, most gold I, I would stay away from. But you, what you can always do is you can always go on Chrono 24. You can always find the oldest version of the watch and you can look at the price. So if you if you manage to find a 1979 gold Daytona, it'll be 60 grand or 50 grand or something crazy. But if you found one late 90s, it'll be nine grand and new there'll be 22 or something like that. So 
gold, you'll find it will drop a lot. But then if it's a Daytona or if it's a Patek, they'll start to go up after a certain amount of time. Like maybe classic cars. We always talk to them about the Ferraris that drop and drop and drop and drop. And then they seem to stop and stay there. And then they go mad. And that'll happen with a gold Daytona or, you know, one of the gold complications of Patek, for example. You know, I'm, you, you've seen me. I'm buying quite a lot of gold watches at the moment, but I won't do that long term. And if you were looking at a watch and you had the option of buying it new or used, what would you do? All day long used, unless I'm forward predicting something that I know is as a limited edition. And therefore, I think, you know, like if you can get on a waiting list on one of the Ferraris, often historically, you get on a waiting list, two year waiting list, it comes out for six to 12 months. The price is like premiumized by 20 or 30 percent. But then it goes doof, off, a, off a cliff. So 99% of the time, you want to watch it to the bottom of its depreciation curve and buy it then. So a Daytona will still go down. A Daytona in the window now, I think there's 7995 or they might be just over eight. Uh, but they'll go down to six and a half, seven. And then they'll stop going down and then they'll start going up again. So nearly always use unless you are getting some really rare limited edition. Great. So we've heard about what to do um, when you're buying watches, the types of watches to buy and, you know, how you should buy them. But there must be some downsides of investing in watches. You know, I, I, I can think of a couple of things, but, you know, you really know them, Rob, because you've you've made some great decisions when buying watches. And you've and also, some bad ones. You've also had some clangers. And, and I've got a Graham, only- which just looks like a, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's not, that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the really where when you're investing in any type of asset, you make most of the learnings when you make the mistakes. Yeah. Um, so what what are the downsides of investing in watches? Look, everything has an upside and a downside. Probably equally upside and downside. Downside in watches is they can get nicked. You know, someone can actually nick them off your arm. Number two, you've got to insure your watches on your insurance policy. Now, if you've got twenty or thirty watches and they're 30 or 50 grand a piece, you're probably not going to have an insurance company that will insure you. And I've definitely had some troubles with that. You've got storage challenges. Where are you going to store them? You've got cost to store. So if, for example, you choose to store them in a safety deposit box, you've got the cost of that, you've got the risk of that if you're storing them at home. Now, if you've just got one Rolex, it doesn't really matter. But if you build an, a collection of them, then, and, you know, where are you going to store them? You're going to store them at home. What's your, what's your security? So you've got security issues. You know, like a couple of years ago, a lot of close people around me told me to stop telling everyone how many watches I've got and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no one knows. And that's kind of a good thing because you don't want to go and advertise and you've got a couple of million quid's worth of watches or whatever you've got because it's just like a massive. So you've got that challenge. Also, you can't leverage on a watch. So, you know, that's a bit of a downside. You can leverage on property and you can leverage on other assets, maybe. And you, you can't leverage on a watch. You can um, you, you can damage them. So if you wear them too much, I love, I, you, it's very important to rotate your watches. Because if you don't rotate your watches, you're going you're gonna to ding them and dent them and screw them up. So that, that's another downside. When you get a good volume, they need to be moving. So you've got to keep winding them up. Don't ever use a watch winder, by the way, for a watch that you um, just wind it every month or so, full wind. Don't use a watch winder. So there's some of the downsides. Okay, so when you're 
deciding what your asset allocation is going to be. Obviously, you've got property, you know, you've got shares and you've got other investments. You must have a rough percentage of your investment portfolio that you might put into watches. Where do you think that should be? And does it vary from person to person? Yeah, I think it varies from person to person. I'm pro- I've probably got a higher watch allocation than maybe I should. My guess is I've got 5% asset allocation in watches, which is probably, you know, pretty high considering we're property investors and that's what we do. I set a target every year of the amount of money I want to put into watches and it's not the first tranche of money. So you know, when we invest, the first part of money I might set in a year will go into our property investments. That's like the first thing. So it might be third or fourth down the list. Uh, so I'll set a goal of, doesn't really matter, for let's say a few hundred thousand each year that I might, I might put in. Uh, and of course, it depends on the amount that you put in, doesn't it? Because if you, let's say you've got a few hundred thousand to invest, you don't want to go and buy three grand watches because it's just a big, it's just a, a time faff, isn't it? You don't want to go and buy a load of garages. You don't want to go and buy a load of 50 grand properties. You want to buy big commercial developments. So I'm not really buying at that lower level anymore. But the risk when you go higher is they're, they're, they're less liquid the higher you get. You know, when you're buying watches at, at over the 50 grand level, they become less liquid. And then the downside risk is higher, isn't it? Because if you make a bad decision or whatever. And so you've got some of those things to think about. So I'd maybe target two and a half to five percent of your overall asset allocation. But if you if you do have a sort of a, a like me, you like spending money and you like wearing nice watches and it's something you have a passion for, you might be a bit higher than the average person. I reckon probably Mark, your uh, percentage allocation in your asset overall assets watches is lower than mine. So, but you're not that as interested as me, but your stock portfolio would probably be higher than mine. I always put less in than you and I just take your advice, just dump it in and I leave it. So it's kind of like what you like doing as well. You should never, I don't think you should ever have watch allocation as your main thing because it's unleveraged and it's too risky and property is probably the thing I should always, I'd always say should be your major allocation. The other thing that I I think of with watches, obviously there there are some major benefits and I love it. One downside is there is no income. Um, you know, if you have a property or you have stocks or you have other assets, they generally provide an income. Yes, when purely you, capital. When you yeah. buy gold or or, or commodities or, or or watches, then it, you know it, it is just a capital investment. But you you hope that the capital gains make up for that in some way. So lots of people are going to be really interested in in what you've told us, Rob. I know when I first started learning about this, I just wanted to know more about it and wanted to kind of absorb everything around, you know, that that related to watches, watch investment. And I didn't find that much. Obviously, a lot of the stuff online is dealers trying to sell you stuff and they're obviously conflicted and Mm. they've got their own agenda. They want to tell you, you know, that whatever they've got to sell is great. And there's a lot of people online that don't necessarily know much about investing in in watches, but might tell you they do. There's a lot of marketing. Well, that doesn't really help you, does it? Because the marketing tells you what's sexy and what the Formula One driver, you know, what he wears, but it doesn't necessarily tell you you know, what works as, as in terms of an investment. So what further research could people do outside of this podcast to, to learn more about investing in watches? Sure. OK, well, I'll start with some fundamentals and then move into sort of the deep research. Fundamentals, most of the time go for used. Make sure that you buy something that is like new, unless it's a complete classic. Make sure you get box and papers 
unless it's like a 79 day toner where you might buy something like that without box and papers what does box and papers mean rob because so, i i i'd heard that a lot when we started talking about it but didn't necessarily understand exactly yeah. what i needed to do to make sure i had the correct box and papers yeah so they call papers aren't always papers they call the paperwork you know i suppose a bit like you know, the logbook and the documents you get on a car. Sometimes it's in like a credit card or sometimes it's in the sort of instruction or guarantee book. But basically the paperwork is the heritage of the watch, where it was bought. So the dealer stamp, the date it was bought, the original owner's name, and sometimes that's left blank and that's okay. So it's really the warranty, the guarantee and, and the heritage or the history of the watch. And like, for example, with AP, you'll get two big booklets most of the time. One is the instruction manual and one is the sort of, you know, what they call the paperwork. With Rolex, you get a green, almost like a credit card that's filled in. So they call it papers or paperwork. And then the box is the original box that it comes in. And you want, the, if you can get the inner and outer box, that's fine, a sleeve. But sometimes the boxes are like pieces of art on their own. And sometimes they're, they're almost like the size of a briefcase. And you'll probably get, there might even be as much as a 15% differential in the, the cost of the watch with and without box and papers. If a watch doesn't have box and papers, the heritage of it, the real or fakeness of it, the viability of it, whether it's stolen or not, is much more risky if you don't have box and papers. So how do you work out if it's stolen and how do you work out if it's real? Yeah, okay, so like anything you've done, you start to get an intuition, so the first thing you can do to can mitigate that is you can just go to a reputable dealer. So, you know, there are plenty of those in America and England. You might go to Lux Watches. You might go to Watch You Want. You might go to Watch Finder. And, you know, they've been around a long time and they deal with the high-end watches. And you just know that that's going to be safe. The drawback of that is you will pay a premium for a dealer and a bit like you and I, Mark, talk about buying Ferraris so that we can get on the list for when the new version of the Enzo or the, you know, what is it now, the LaFerrari comes out. You're almost like you've got to have bought five and you've got to get on the list and be, if you buy a couple from a dealer, you'll get a good deal a bit later on. You, you might negotiate okay first time around, but you probably won't. And they're safe. Then, then you've got like eBay, Chrono24, and kind of like sites where you can buy watches secondhand. Now, like I like to evaluate the person. So I want to know that probably that they're a collector. I want to look at their feedback history. I want to look at what they've sold before. And if they've sold watches before and I get a good feeling about them and I want them to come and show me the watch and I want to test that they would take me to a Rolex dealer where they live and do they still have the receipt from the original dealer that they bought it from? And it's almost got, you've got this checkbox of all those things and you've got none of those things and they're, they're a bit evasive, it's a definite no. If the price is too cheap, be careful with that. And yeah, so they're probably the ways that you can mitigate it. Uh, you can go online and research fakes and what to look, look for and what not to look for. Now, it is actually getting a lot harder to fake. What Rolex have done is they've, inside the inner bezel, inside the glass, they've got Rolex written all the way around the inner ring, which is very hard to see. And I've never seen a fake with that yet. What AP do is they have this, like, waffle face, which is almost three-dimensional, and that, so far, hasn't been faked. The weight of a watch... Now, you want to take risks, sorry, you want to take less risks by getting watches which are more well-known. Uh, you know, what happens with some of the classic watches is they'll, 
they'll put a new face on it or that they, they, you know part of it will be replaced and that can reduce the value of it so you start by investing in credible safe places when you do get a watch from a new source start with a cheaper one you know get one that's three or four grand rather than one that's seven ten fifteen twenty and then you'll build up a a feel for it i know when we first started looking at them or in the early days when when i started getting interested we used to go down the burlington arcade in in london uh, and we just used to look at a lot of watches in the windows and really get an understanding of which models look like what you know and i i just started myself with the daytona because you taught me that that was a a kind of staple you know investors watch yeah um you know and and then i moved on to the rolex submariner and i got to know what they look like and i I, I just looked at them over and over in these shop windows and then went inside and, you know, picked them up and, and had a look. And over a period of time, you just get a feel for what it should look like. Yeah. And, you know, if you um, if you end up buying one later on, you'll, you know, when you pick it up, you'll, you'll look at it and you'll immediately get a, a feeling as to whether it's right or not. And certainly you used to buy quite a lot in shops like that yeah. down Burlington Arcade, get a lot of advice, maybe pay slightly more, yeah. but you learned so much from that process. Mm. And, and I learned vicariously through yeah. you. So um, I thought that was a, a really beneficial route into the whole watching, investing in world. And, why, and a way to do your research, because your initial question was research. So prices on eBay from private sellers prices from your main dealers, prices from Chrono24, which is one of the big reputable ones. If you want to keep a spreadsheet, keep a spreadsheet of prices and track them every six months and look at how they move. Track second-hand price from an individual with a dealer price. And yeah, and in the end, you just get this intuition. You can also subscribe to 12, which once a year, they send out this really, this hardback kind of, almost highbrow publications. Not, it's not cheap, it's about 100 quid, I think, or maybe a bit more. But it goes through all the watches that have proven value over time and tells you what to look for and not to look for. And then you build relationships with dealers and then you talk to them and they give you some tips. And then all of a sudden you just, you know, you get more of a feeling about it. Great. So you've given us a hell of a lot of value today, Rob. And, you know, I've even learned some some new stuff from this session. So thank you. Where Where can people find more out about you? Obviously, you know, you're, you're quite big in, in terms of your online presence, but in terms of watches, well, this is probably a, a new topic, but, but, you know, people will want to know more about the other things that you do and more about you. How can they find out more? Yeah, well, just to make it clearer, and if you haven't heard me before, I'm not a watch dealer and I just do watches as something I love to do and I've just learned over the years and it's not something I ever want to become a teacher of of this it's just um you know we got me on this podcast because it's a a niche a lot of people don't know about so people can find me on my podcast the disruptive entrepreneur people can find me on my website robmore.com you can search me into amazon for written quite a lot of books life leverage is the one that's doing quite well at the moment and you can search me on facebook for my pages etc so should be pretty easy to find rob moore m-o-o-r-e Rob, thank you very much. I found this really interesting. I know the audience will have done too. Okay, so that's it. Nothing more for me to say other than I found that really, really interesting. I'm sure the audience has too. So thank you very much, Rob. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everyone.